Amen. Good morning, church. How are we? Good. Is it well with your soul? Amen. This is... <laughs> this, everyone's tight right here. Everyone else is gaps, but this is really tight right here. I like this a lot. Um, yeah, there you go. This section's yeah, committed. <laughs> there you go. Um, we are continuing in our series through the book of First Timothy. This, war- this morning we're going to be in First Timothy chapter six, verse three through five. So if you have your Bible, please go there with me. Go there. This whole letter we have seen Paul address a ton of aspects about how the church is supposed to conduct itself, about how the church is supposed to operate. He addresses what church leadership should look like, how every church or every person in the church should be treated um, from, you know, uh, masters to slaves, widows to leaders, men to women. And this is truly why we've called this series God's Blueprint for the Church, because as we've seen, you know, God, through the Apostle Paul, was really giving Timothy a blueprint for how he wants the church to operate so that the church would be healthy and always honoring to Christ. So we have a blueprint. Right? Church here today in America, you know, in, in 2023, can't say we don't know how to do church. Right? We have the blueprint right here for how we are to do church. Well, one of the common threads throughout this book has been that Paul was instructing Timothy to stand up against false teachers. If there was anyone that was teaching anything opposed to the gospel, if someone was teaching something different from the teachings of Jesus Christ, then Timothy was instructed by Paul to suit up, if you will, and to do battle with those people. Right, to not let it slide, to not sit there and go, well, maybe he'll just come around if I just, you know, if I just teach this way, maybe he'll just change. No. Timothy had to confront that person. Timothy had to do battle with that person. He was supposed to be a shepherd that protected the sheep from the dangers of false teaching. There was wolves that were coming into the early church, and he was supposed to protect the church from those wolves. You know, the wealthiest pastors in America right now include people like Pat Robertson, um, Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen's loaded. Creflo Dollar, T.D. Jakes, Joyce Myers. Each of these pastors is worth millions and millions of dollars, each of them. What I would tell you is these are pastors who prey on the poor. They prey on the poor. They get rich off the backs of people who are desperate. Now, I'm going to be fair, okay? I'm not calling these pastors false teachers because they have a lot of money and I don't have a lot of money. That's not why I'm calling them false teachers. I'm calling them false teachers because their teachings are false. Like, that's the reality, right? Like, just because somebody has money doesn't make them a false teacher. So don't, don't, don't look at it that way. But what we see is that these are people who are getting rich off the backs of teaching false things. And people are buying it hook, line, and sinker. A lot of people are going to be lined up at the gates of hell because of these people. That they led them falsely. There's going to be a special place, I believe, for, firmly, and I say it is with prayer that they would repent. But there's a special place in hell for false teachers, I believe. People who lead, people astray. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, oh, it would be better if someone tied a millstone around your neck than to cause somebody, one of my kids, to stumble. Right? And there, let me just tell you, we already know, teachers of the word, that you are held to a higher account than everybody else is. 
not going to be ugly. We're just going to be ugly. And so what I want you to understand, and what we're going to talk about a lot today, is sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is never focused on what do I get out of this. Sound doctrine is not me-centered. Sound doctrine is always, always, always centered on obedience to Jesus, righteousness in Christ, growing in holiness. That's what the, the, the goal of sound doctrine is always to help you to grow in those things. Always. It's not about you getting rich or you getting stuff or you even being happy. None of those things are included in sound doctrine. Like, it has nothing to do with it. And so pastors who are about personal gain or to teach people who, to be about personal gain, listen, hear me on this, they're not pastors, they're pretenders. You have to be very careful with who you listen to. Listen, I'm thinking that's be a lot of you listen to other pastors throughout the week and you, you get fed, you know, multiple times a week. I think that's great. Just be careful with who you're listening to is my point. Right? I'm kind of giving you some different uh, things that you should be looking for and the people that you're going to be listening to. If you ever leave New Beginnings or if New Beginnings ever gets another pastor because I'm no longer here, never forget this, what I'm about to tell you. A pastor who does things to get personal gain is not of the Lord. A pastor who uses their pulpit to get things from their, for themselves or to get personal gain is not of the Lord. And so if you want to know if a pastor is of God, then you ask these questions. Does the pastor preach that righteousness is found in Jesus Christ alone? That's one. Does he preach that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone? That's two. Right? Does he preach that you should die to yourself, that you should repent of your sin, that you should grow in godliness unashamedly? A pastor of God does. Today we're going to see Paul give two commands for Timothy, just two. Two points today. Two points regarding how he is supposed to protect the flock against false teaching. And so he gives Timothy two ways, um, and, and us two ways, for us to spot, spot false teachers and then to be able to avoid false teachers of Scripture. False teachers can be, can be spotted really quick when you know what to look for, right? You ever seen one of the, it's like, you know, uh, where's Waldo type things or look and find things? Right? And, and there, so if I told you, hey, look and find Waldo, and you have no idea who Waldo is, you're going to go, I don't know, there's like a million different little people in this picture. I don't know how to do this. But if I showed you a picture and I said, hey, here's what Waldo looks like, now find him. Over time, you're going to find him, right? Because you're looking, you know what to look for. And it's the same way here. If we know what to look for when it comes to false teachers, we'll be able to spot them a lot quicker. Okay? So number one, examine the teacher's teaching. How do we spot false teachers? We've got to examine the teacher's teaching. Paul says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand how much? Nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. I want to focus in on verse 3 here. Paul says, if anyone teaches something different than what is, what is the true gospel, if anyone teaches something different than what is taught in Scripture, that person is a heretic. Period. Right? If someone's you know, words do not line up with Scripture, right, you are not to submit to that teaching. It doesn't matter if they're in a pulpit or if they're not in a pulpit. If they don't line up with Scripture, you don't listen to that, you don't submit to that. You reject it. Bluntly. If someone is out of sync with everything that God has revealed to us 
through his son, Jesus Christ, in his word, then we don't believe that and we reject that person as being from the Lord. Now, we have to be very careful about how we apply this, right? Just because someone disagrees with something that you might believe doesn't necessarily make them a false teacher, right? Right? Someone, you know, you might go, well, you know, I, I, I still believe in tongues and you don't, so now you're a false teacher and you're a heretic and, you know, you're going to hell. No! Be very careful about how we do this here, okay? Right? So, what we're talking about is this. It's okay to have disagreements in areas of secondary issues. Secondary issues. But where we have to agree is on main doctrinal issues. We must have agreement. Uh, I'll give you an example. One of my favorite pastors, and maybe one of the pastors that's had the greatest impact on me as a pastor, is the late Tim Keller who just passed away last week. Um, I don't necessarily agree with everything that, that Pastor Keller taught. He was a Presbyterian pastor. Um, and Presbyterians, if you're not familiar with it, they, they believe things like you can baptize infants and things like that. And I don't agree with that. But let me just tell you something. I, absor I absorb a lot of wonderful things from Pastor Keller's teachings. Um, Pastor Keller was really used by God to help make me a better pastor, a teacher of the word, a student of the word, a man of God, a husband. I mean, just there was just so much goodness that came from, from one man. Uh, he was just an excellent teacher. So there were some things when he would teach, I would have to go, yeah, I don't, I, no, I don't, I don't take that. Right? I'm not going to accept that. I don't believe that. But there were many things where I was like, yes. Right? Main doctrinal issues. Yes. We're there. We're in agreement. We're good. Listen, so while there are differences on secondary issues, we can't have differences on main doctrinal issues, right? Things like God's nature. We can't disagree about God's nature. We've got to have agreement here. We can't disagree about who Jesus Christ is or who the Holy Spirit is or who God the Father is or what the Word of God is. We can't disagree about things like sin. We can't disagree about how we're saved from sin. Those are priority first issues, Main issues. We have to have agreement on these issues. Now, we, can, uh, we agree on those priority issues, but we can leave room for secondary issues to disagree. Now, you might ask, well, Jordan, how do I tell the difference between the two? How do I know what's a main doctrinal issue? How do I know maybe I'm not as seasoned in the word as some who's a fool? Maybe I just haven't been a believer for very long. How do I know so that I can spot someone who's a false teacher so I don't get duped too? Here's how you do this. You study that teacher's theology, and you study their theology a lot. Like, you study it a lot. And you study it with discernment that you've prayed about before you've absorbed their teaching. So before you sit there and go sit under the teaching, you pray and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to sit under teaching, make this nutritious for my soul, and if it's not nutritious, help me to spit it back out. Does that make sense? Like, this is what it's supposed to look like. Is, is their teaching, right, of the true gospel... Or is it false teaching? Right? Do they give their opinions more than they give you the real meat? Do they, do they give you self-help over, over the truth? A key marker that Paul shows us in order to examine the teaching of men is to determine if their words are sound. And the, the Greek word that he uses there, it literally means healthy. In fact, the Greek word that he, he uses there is where we get we, our, our English word hygiene from. We get our word from that. And so teaching, think about it this way, teaching is food for your soul. Are you with me? 
Teaching is food for your soul. So if food can be one of two things, it can be nutritious, it can be healthy, and it can help you to be healthier. Or it can have the opposite effect. It can be bad for you. It can help you to look like me. Right? These kind of things, right? I would give you an example like this. Ice cream is, 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 is not terrible, right, like to have maybe every now and again, right? So some of you are like, oh, thank you, thank you, right? Right? But what I would tell you is that even though ice cream's not poison, if ice cream, right, filled with sugar and all that stuff in there is the only source of your, you know, food, it's inevitably going to hurt you. It's inevitably going to lead to your body, what? Not being able to, to make it, right? It's not going to lead to nutrition. And so I want you to check this out. I love how Paul is not so cocky as to make himself the judge as to who says this is what's good teaching, this is what's healthy teaching, and that's what's junk. Paul doesn't say, hey, hey I'm the, the marker here. Notice the word, how, how the word sound is modified. What's the qualifying statement? Look with me. He says, does not agree to the sound instruction of who? Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And so it's hard to think of a way that Paul could have been more direct here. He's very direct. He points to Jesus, who is the second person of the, of the Trinity, and he says, his teaching is the standard. Like, the person who's teaching has to be teaching what Jesus taught. And if he's not teaching what Jesus taught, reject him. He's got to teach what Jesus taught. So how do we know if someone's gone astray from Christ's teachings? How do we know? How far can a teacher go away from the word before he's teaching something differently than what Jesus taught? I want to give you an example that might wake you up a little bit. What if I told you, and some of you, you may not like this analogy. You may complain afterwards, but I'm just going to say it. Because I think this is, I think this is, I think it's fitting. I honestly do. Imagine if I told you. I have the absolute best recipe for brownies. It's incredible. Incredible brownies. They're so, oh man, when you, you're, you're going to love them. I put all different kinds of things. I put a little bit of sugar, a little bit of fudge in there, a little bit of dog poo, um, some, some, some peanuts, things like that. I put all these different things in there, and it's just, just really good. Now, and if I were to come to you and say, okay, how much dog poo would you tolerate me putting in your brownies? What would you say to me? You'd go, no, none, zero, no dog poo in the brownies. I don't want that. I don't care how good your recipe is, don't put that in my brownies. Friend, the right doctrine always matters. The right doctrine always matters. You never tolerate self-help in place of scripture. Right? You don't tolerate a wrong theology in place of sound theology. You don't tolerate a lie in place of truth. Otherwise, it's like saying, yeah, put a little bit of dog poo in my brownies. Anybody signing up for that? Nah. But this is what happens when we tolerate self-help from the pulpit instead of the word of God. This is what happens when we do this in our small groups and we sit there and we go, well, this doesn't really cause us to open up our Bibles, but it's just this guy talking or this woman talking and we're just going to submit to this teaching even though no one's opening up the word of God. Dog poo. The word of God is the nutrition. That's where we need to be feasting, not on anything else. Nothing else is, is edible. Nothing else is good enough for you. 
Doctrine always matters. Hear me on this. Why? Why does doctrine always matter? Because what you think will determine how you behave. What you think will cause you to do, right? The enemy is always trying to get you to trip up and to get you to think the wrong thing about where God has been clear. He wants you to be unclear about where God has been clear so that you would live a life of sin. Wrong doctrine always leads to wrong living. You know, if you completely changed your eating, if you only ate organic, if you cut out all sugar, if you ate only protein, you ate the right amount of fruits and veggies every single day, you would expect there to be an impact to your overall health. You would expect it. You'd be like, look, I'm, I'm paying all this money to eat this way, and, and I would expect my health to change. You know, doctors say it's amazing how many uh, common medical problems can be changed and, and, and sometimes even go away just by people changing what they eat. It's incredible. Sound doctrine is always based on Jesus as the foundation. Sound doctrine always points to Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection as being central to Christian living. That's the gospel, right? Sound teaching always brings the gospel into it. How does this affect you? Sound doctrine is not man-centered. Sound doctrine is Christ-centered. Sound doctrine helps us to grow in righteousness. Sound doctrine helps you to be more like Jesus, People who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus are who Christians are. Amen? Right? And so sound doctrine is to help my life to be transformed. Why? Because I claim to have been transformed by the gospel. So I'm not just transformed. I'm being transformed. Does this make sense? Like I'm not the same, but I'm not even going to be the same who I was yesterday. He's still changing me. He's who's he changing me to be like? Jesus. Right? This is what sound teaching will always please it to. And so whenever you hear someone preaching a man-centered theology where God is about pleasing man and not God, where the Bible isn't clear, where, where God has been very clear, where truth is relative instead of truth being black and white, where the preacher encourages you to look more like culture than your Savior, where your preacher doesn't call you to repent of sin, instead he tells you to coddle your sin or embrace sin or to embrace the culture, if the preacher refuses to even use words like sin or repentance or hell, then you better run away from that garbage. Why? Here's why. Lean in. Ready? Because garbage in, garbage out. Whatever you take in is what's going to come out. So if you're going to take in false teaching, you're going to live in a false way. You're going to live in a way that doesn't ultimately honor the Lord. See, false teaching gives people a license to sin where God has said, no, 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 there's boundaries here. Don't go there. I, I've set up boundaries. Don't, don't go there. Sound doctrine helps us to grow in our holiness. I read this story by Stephen Cole this week about Nancy Reagan. Who knows who Nancy Reagan is? Ronald Reagan's wife. She got linked up with an astrologer. I don't know if you, you might know this. And so Mrs. Reagan was upset over the assassination attempt on her husband's life. And so to calm her fears, um, she had, she tried prayer. She talked to religious leaders. She knew Billy Graham. And she talked to these, and she still didn't have peace, she said. So one afternoon, her, her friend, Merv Griffin, Merv Griffin, mentioned this astrologer. And this astrologer says, oh, I could have warned you about the uh, attack that was coming on your husband's life. I could have warned you about that. You didn't know it was coming, but I, I knew it was coming. And so Mrs. Reagan kept meeting with this astrologer over time and over time, and it ended up costing them a, a lot of money. And so Mr. Reagan, he found out about it. 
And his response was this to his wife. He said, if it makes you feel better, go ahead and do it. But be careful because it might look a little odd to other people in our country. In other words, the bottom line was not is this person helping you to conform to the word of God, helping you to become more like Jesus, but how does this person make you feel? That was the ultimate thing. And many people are more concerned in our country today and in our churches today about how they feel as opposed to what is true. They don't care about what is true. They just say, how does it make me feel? Hear me, friends. Like, who cares about how you feel? When it comes to this, in terms of making a decision on what we're going to ingest, it's not about how does the word of God make you feel. Because there's some days where the word of God makes me feel bad. Because it tells me, And there's some days where it makes me feel really good who I'm of deep joy. Why? Because I look at what Jesus has done for me or who I am in Christ or who I'm not anymore. Right? So there's, there, there's both. It's not about how it makes me feel. It's just about this is what's true. This is what is, is right. See, what Mrs. Reagan did has been done by millions of Americans. Millions of Americans haven't diligently sought the Lord. They're not diligently reading their scripture. They're not really about what, you know, uh, growing in godliness. And so here's what happens. Trials come in their life. Suffering comes in their life. Hardship comes in their life. And they walk away from God. Why? Because now all of a sudden I don't feel so good. And I was doing all these things. I was going to church or I was listening to this self-help guy. And now I don't feel so good. And God let me down. God didn't let you down. That false teacher lets you down. They painted a false picture of who God was. They didn't tell you about who the true God was. The true God says, yeah, you might go through suffering, but don't worry, I'm going to walk with you through it. I'll carry you through it. You may not be able to walk, but I'll get you there. You just rely on me. You just lean on me. I will carry you. False teachers aren't about that. They're just all about how does this make you feel. So when things are going good, the person thinks I'm growing in righteousness. Right? Things are comfortable. Everything's good. God is good, everything's good, so God is good. What happens when everything is not good? Is God still good? He's good. Well, yeah, he is. He is, and that's really ultimately where he's going to prove his goodness to you is when times are not good. Because that's where he's going to prove it. Number two, you have to examine the teacher himself. Examine the teacher himself. Paul says they are conceited and understand how much? Nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. The word conceit in there actually can have a, a couple different meanings. It literally means one in one way to be filled with smoke. It paints the, the picture of a room being filled with smoke or being filled with, with hot air. And so a person who is conceited is puffed up. They're full of hot air, right? Now, the, the other part of this here has another potential meaning, is that this word can also be used of someone who's blind, foolish. They can't see things around them. Maybe they can't see because of the smoke in the room or they stumble around the room. And so this is kind of how Paul is using the term here, most scholars say, is, is that he's saying that they can't see because they're foolish, in our vernacular, we would say they're stupid. They're fools. They're ignorant of morons, right? They replace the teaching of God with the teaching of men. And hear me on this as the great 
theologian Forrest Gump once said, stupid is as stupid does, right? And ain't that the truth? Stupid people replace God's teaching with the teaching of man. That's what stupid people do. That's what morons do. That ain't you, right? That can't be us, right? We, we cannot replace what God has clearly said with what man says. Otherwise, we're just being fools. And so Paul says that a false teacher is proud and understands nothing, right? One mark of a false teacher, how can you tell if a false teacher is really false or not? Is he says, hey, they're conceited, right? They're, they're conceited. They're overconfident. They have too much self-importance. Their attitude is wrong. They're proud. And so what happens is this false pride that they have allows them to actually know nothing. And so that conceit, that pride is a characteristic of a false teacher. Now the question is why? Why is pride a characteristic of a false teacher? Because pride is a characteristic of somebody who is spiritually unhealthy. You don't want someone spiritually unhealthy teaching you how to be healthy spiritually. We don't want that. So conceit or pride in our lives, hear me on this, it's not healthy. Right? What, what, what's like one of the main things that God hates? Pride. Like, this is what Paul's saying. Like, this is an easy one to, like, look, look at and say, hey, this one right here is pride. Someone once said that pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except for the person who has it. Pride is a characteristic of a false teacher. It's definitely not something that you want to mark your life. Pride is something that we've got to avoid in our lives. Studying God's word and sitting under sound teaching will help you to avoid pride. It will help us to avoid it. Paul goes on to say that not only is a false teacher conceited, but he has an unhealthy interest in controversies. He has an unhealthy interest in quarrels. It's amazing how oftentimes people will just not accept the plain truth of God's word. Have you guys ever heard this before? Somebody might say, you know, oh, this, this here, what's been talked about for 2,000 years, and the church has hold a, held a position about for 2,000 years that's saying that this is sin, and then all of a sudden, people start going, well, I think those scholars for 2,000 years got it wrong. Well, they, they, didn't, they don't really understand. You know, then some other, somebody else comes out and, you know, says, oh, well, that's not really what that meant. You know, 2,000 years, all these people got it wrong. Really? But we're the ones that are so wise. We're the ones that are so smart after 2,000 years, and we're the ones who can pick it up. And we're the ones who can, who can, who can master it. Friends, if you hang around people who are self-professing Bible scholars for long enough, one of the things you'll, you'll realize is that they love to debate. Now, they will tell you that, hey, they just love to discuss. I just like to talk about God's word. Eh, really? Or do you like to debate it? Do you like to argue about it? Do you like to have these silly arguments about Scripture? There's a danger there, right? There's a danger in sitting there saying, I know so much, all I want to do is discuss it with you so I can prove you wrong. And that's where some people are. We've got to be very careful that that's not us, right? We've got to be careful. And if that is us, we have to repent of that immediately, right? We've got to humble ourselves and repent of that. We've got to be sure that we're taking Scripture at face value. You guys know that, right? You've got to take Scripture at face value. Don't reinterpret Scripture to fit your own narrative, to fit the narrative of culture. Don't do it. What does God say is a question that we have to ask when we're opening the Word of God. Like today, when you go home, you open the Word of God, or tomorrow morning when you open the Word of God, these are questions that you should be asking. What does God say here? Not as, what is man saying? What does God say? What does God say here? 
What is, what is clearly spoken here in his word? Am I living my life in, this, in the sound doctrine, right, that I'm seeing here? Am I obedient to the sound doctrine that I'm seeing here? Or am I twisting the word of God to fit my own desire? You have to be very careful because it's easy to do that, isn't it? It's easy to twist God's word to make it into something that you want it to sound like or to be like. And so what does all this lead to? He says that pride, right, and conceit lead to envy, to strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant friction between people. And all these things are birthed from false teachers and their evil, selfish motives. See, since they're about themselves more than they're about Christ, they don't want to work with other people. They don't want to cooperate with other people. They don't want to even work or cooperate with other pastors because they view other pastors as a, as a threat, not a brother in arms. So they view them as an enemy and go, I can't work with them because I'm competing against that person. It is sad, and I will be honest with you, there are pastors who do view, and it's a danger. It's a trap for all of us as pastors. Can I just be honest with you? It's a trap. It's a trap that you view other churches as competition. Because oftentimes what pastors do when pastors get together is we say, well, how big is your church? How much money you got? How much debt do you have? Do you have buildings? These kind of things. And we ask these questions, and this is kind of how we measure God's favor or, or success, right? Sometimes if, listen, pastors are not immune to, to having pride too. Not immune to it either. And so what happens is when we view other places and other pastors as competition, what we do is we talk down about other people to make ourselves look better. We do that in everyday life, right? You might do that at work. You might do that in your home. You might put somebody down. And, and very underhandedly sometimes. Very like underhandedly you put someone down because it makes you might look better. Verse 4, we note that a false teacher is marked by malicious talk or slander. Colossians chapter 3, Paul warns, uh, warns us about this in Colossians 3 verse 8. He says, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Slander or malicious talk is something that should have no place in the life of a believer. Right? So we have to watch out. One of the things we are to watch out for is if a, if a teacher of Scripture is engaging in malicious talk or in gossip, destroying somebody else's you know, reputation. That's a, that's a red flag. That's a red flag that you got to watch out for, right? Because Proverbs 10.18 says, He who conceals his hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. Haddon Robinson gave a great illustration about malicious talk and its dangers. He said, few crimes are as senseless as arson. In late 1993, portions of Southern California landscape were blackened by a rash of brush fires set by arsonists. Entire woodlands vanished. Homes were reduced to ashes. Animals, human beings lost their lives. He says this, malicious talk is like setting a fire to your neighbor's house. Lies about a person's character or actions are extremely destructive. They consume reputations and they destroy people's relationships. That's the truth. See, friends, when you're tempted to, to set a fire to someone's reputation using your, your arsenic words, you got to stop. I want you to look at how closely that text is similar to what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. Verse 28 through 32, it should come up here on the screen. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. 
They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. That's our world. Holy smokes, our world today is inventing ways just to do evil. Things that haven't been around for, it's like, let's just find another way to do something just crazy and evil today. It's just insane. They disobey their parents. Young people, listen up. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is, listen, here what you have is you have a lot of people, right, in filling pulpits today in America who are literally saying what God has said is sin, no, it's okay. That was a cultural thing that God was speaking to back then. We don't talk about that today. We don't embrace that today. Man, you got to run from that. Be very careful. Study that person's theology. Where does that person line up? Does that person believe in the inerrancy of Scripture? That's like an easy question to, to find out. Does, does the pastor believe that there's not a single error in God's word? If somebody tells you there's an error in God's word, go, okay, hey, nice to meet you. Praying for you. I'm over here. I'm going to go listen to somebody else. Right off the bat. Because if there's one error, throw the whole thing out. If there's one error, then who's to get to, who gets to determine this is an error, but this is true? Then you know what happens? The pastor now gets to determine, oh, no, no, this is okay, this is not okay. Where God has said, no, 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 I'm the one who determines that, not you. You're just the messenger. The messenger doesn't get to make the rules. The person who sent them makes the rules. Amen? So let's put this in the simplest terms possible. Clearly, Paul is stating that these individuals, people who, who teach differently than what Scripture teaches clearly, and they live in defiance to it, what he's saying is that they are unregenerate apostates, meaning they do not know Jesus. They are not Christians. They're not Christians who are living in, in, in sin. They're just not Christians. They're people who maybe thought they were or they went to Bible college and they thought this is what makes me a Christian or whatever the case may be, but they're not believers. Because people who are true believers aren't gonna, are going to sell their soul to teach something differently than what Jesus has done. There's a lot of people claiming the name of Christ, yet they teach and live in direct opposition to Christ. And it's ha listen, I'm telling you, I'm begging you pretty much to open your eyes. It is everywhere. In our own convention, in the Southern Baptist Convention, you may not pay attention to it very much, and I can understand that you've got busy lives. I see it in what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. More and more garbage is being tolerated in the Southern Baptist Convention. Southern Baptist Convention this summer might have a big split, just letting you guys know that, because of what's coming, because of the false teaching that is creeping its way in the Southern Baptist Convention. Things that we have held to, our church holds to, the, the Baptist faith and message. Like, there's even some disagreement here. Can you believe this? Like, this, and so it's not just other churches or people out there, it's our own brothers and sisters in the convention. We are a Southern Baptist church, just so you guys are aware of that. We're proud of that. We're not embarrassed by that. What I want you to see is these people are simply in it for the money. There's no other reason. They're in it for the money. 
Because hear, hear me this, the best way to gather more people and thus to gather more money is to tickle people's ears with things that are against Scripture. To twist things in a way that people will go, oh, I like that. Oh, I like the way he, you ever heard, oh, I like the way he put that. It didn't really say that. That's not what, it didn't look like that's what God said, but I like the way he said it better. No? Like, there's pastors who are doing that, going, okay, let me just take this, put enough truth in it to make it so that not a lot of, like, sirens go off in people's minds. Let me put enough truth in this. Again, a lot of people claiming to be Christians that are just using God for personal gain. And as long as God treats them well, as long as things are going good, as long as life is reasonably comfortable, they'll keep coming to church. They'll keep coming, they'll keep being part of it. The second suffering hits, the second uncomfortableness hits, those people are out. They quit. They gave up on God. God failed them. No, God didn't fail you. God's about to prove his faithfulness if you would stay faithful. No, but they walk away. Some of you might be wondering, but doesn't God promise to meet our needs? So what's wrong with a pastor saying, hey, God's going to meet your needs? Yeah, he does promise to meet your needs, but the answer is a conditional yes that God will meet your needs. Some of you might say, wait, what, what? Conditional? Oh, there's a condition to it. Maybe you didn't see it in Scripture. Because Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The condition here is that you're not seeking your own happiness first. You're not seeking more material possessions first. You're not seeking the things of this world first. You're seeking Jesus first, and then he adds all those things to you. You don't get to sit there and go, I'm going to make all these other things first, but then Jesus still has to add things to you. He ain't serving you. You serve him. Right? Friends, we obey Jesus. We submit to Jesus. We love Jesus. We serve Jesus because Jesus first loved us. He lived for us. He died for us. He resurrected for us. Right? He is the one true living God. This is why we serve Jesus. And so whether we live a problem-free life or we have suffering in our life, we keep going forward. Why? Because we know that Jesus Christ alone is God. Nobody else is God. Nobody else gets to tell us how to live except for the truth of us. Amen? So my prayer is that we would be firm in the truth of God's word. We would study the word of God. We study the word of God so we know how to live and we know how to reject what's error. Two reasons. you got to know what God says in order to live how God wants you to live. And you need to know what God says in order so that the enemy... You don't live how he wants you to live. But God's word will tell you. You have to be a student of it, though. Young person, you're not, you're, you're not, with, you're not with excuse. Right? Like, you have to read the word of God, even as a young person. You don't get to sit there and go, no, no, that's for, that's for the, the older people. No, it's for you. Like, in many cultures, I'm looking around, many cultures, you would already be considered a man or a woman. Already. Certainly in the cultures that this was written in, you would have been considered a man or a woman. You would have, listen, Paul says what? When I became a man, what did I do? Put us, I, I put aside childish things. It's time for that. Like if you don't have time for the word of God, maybe it might be because you still have childish things in your life. They got to get put away. We don't like to hear this because we sit there and we're like, I, I want to have my childish things too. Listen, it's not, I'm not saying you can't have fun. No one's saying you can't have fun. You got to be like a monk in a monastery. No one's saying that. Friends, even I like to have fun. I like to have hair. My boys and stuff like that and do fun things. 
But friend, I can't do it to my own peril. I can't do it by rejecting the word of God or sitting there saying, ah, I don't have time for the word of God, but I do have time for this video game today. Hmm? No, that's wrong. It's wrong. R.A. Torrey once said this, and I'm almost done, I promise. I've only been up here for 40 minutes, just so you guys are aware. I got, Cedric says I get at least 45 every week, okay? R.A. Torrey says this. He says, you may talk about power, but if you neglect the one book that God is giving you as the instrument through which he imparts and exercises his power, you'll never have power. You may read many books and go to many conventions, and you may have your all-night prayer meetings to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. But unless you keep in constant, close association with the one book, the Bible, you will have no power. And if you ever had power, you will never maintain that power except for the daily, earnest, intense study of that book, the Bible. Now listen to this. I don't know if I'll hear amens on this one, but this is, this cuts. 99 Christians in every 100 are merely playing at Bible study. And therefore, 99 Christians in every 100 are merely weaklings when they could have been giants, both in their Christian life and in their service to God. So what does this mean? You want to be a giant for God, man, it's been a giant amount of time in the word of God, right? And be diligent, man. Five minutes ain't enough. It's like, hey, listen, if you, if you have nowhere to, if you have like, no, you've never read the word of God, okay, start with five minutes. But it's got to go up. Like we got to challenge each other and push each other. Spend a lot of time in there. Gypsy Smith told of a man who had received no inspiration from the word of God. Even though the guy said he had gone through the word uh, several times, he had gone through the Bible several times, he never got any inspiration from it. And Gypsy Smith said this to him. He said, just let it go through you once, and then you'll tell a different story. Meaning what? You read it, but you didn't really read it. You read it with man's eyes, not the Holy Spirit's eyes. And this is why you don't understand it. I'm going to end with this story. In 1914, Ernest Shackleton and a team of explorers set out from England to do something that nobody had ever accomplished in the world history. They wanted to cross Antarctica from one side to the other across the South Pole. Disaster struck when the, ship's, uh, the ship named Endurance became entrapped. It was stuck in the ice, and it eventually sank after the front of the ship became crushed. And so the entire fleet of, of people, the entire group, was marooned on an island, and there was very little hope for their survival. Imagine being in, a, in the South Pole. That doesn't sound like how you want to spend your summer, does it? In a desperate effort to get help, Shackleton and five others set out in 20-foot lifeboats across some of the most dangerous and storm-filled waters in the entire world. It was an 800-mile journey to South Georgia Island where help could be found. For 15 days, the men battled the treacherous seas, massive storms, with waves up to 100 feet. And all they had was a compass to guide them. Frank Worsley, he was the one who navigated their course until they safely reached land and found help. Ernest Shackleton uh, was able to get another ship and returned and rescued every single one of his men, not losing one. And he became a national hero in England for his courage and for his persistence. The point being this, all of us are making our way through a rough life, right? Everybody's going, everybody goes through hard times, okay? I'm looking out and I, I, I'm looking at people, you, you, know, you know what hardship is. 
You know what suffering is. There's many of you who, who know very well what pain and hurt and heartache and suffering looks like. Ever since sin first came into this world in the Garden of Eden, man has really struggled to make wise decisions. Ever since sin came in, we've, we have a hard time knowing how to go and do the right thing. And the only way that we can ensure that we don't go astray from what God has told us is to have an objective truth. There has to be an objective truth that leads to righteousness. You do have that. It is the Bible. The Bible. And so what I want to tell you is this. Is God's word is the compass that helps you get through those dark waters. God's word is that compass that's going to help guide you through those dark times. If you're not in God's word, you're going to sink. Period. It'll only be for the grace of God that you don't sink if you're not in God's word. I don't know how you'll make it. It will be a miracle. If you want to make it through tough times, if you want to make it through hardship, you want to make it through suffering, which, hear me on this, is coming your way at some point. For all of us. It just is. Because it's part of life. And brothers and sisters, make sure you're in God's word when times are good. So that when times are bad, you know how to get through it. Amen? Let's pray. 45 minutes on the dot said, just letting you know, bro. Let's pray for real. Lord, it's good to be in your house. It's so good to be with brothers and sisters. Lord, it's good to study your word together. Because, Lord, as your Holy Spirit is in each of us, sometimes, Lord, we know that you help one person to understand something so that everybody else can understand it. God, we're grateful for good, godly Bible teachers that we have in our church, in our small groups. Even those who are not small group leaders, we have some really good people in this church who like to disciple, who like to help other people to learn uh, your word and help to understand your word. They're Bible teachers too. God, we're grateful for them. Lord, I thank you that they understand that they're not to deviate from what your word says. That what your word says, we have to be clear about it. We don't sugarcoat it. We don't bend it. We don't twist it. We don't manipulate it to make it fit our own agenda or to match culture. Oftentimes, it's going to go against the grain of culture. And Lord, that's okay. Because we want to honor you. We want to honor you with how we study the word of God. We want to honor you with what we do with the word of God. So we can't just read it. We've got to believe it. We've got to accept it. We've got to receive it. We've got to obey it. So, Lord, I'm going to pray for the men, our young men who are here, our, our men who are here. Lord, I'm going to pray that we would lead the way. That when people would look at the men in our church, the young people in our church, whether they're teenagers or not, Lord, they would look at them and say, oh, that's, okay, that's how you study the word of God. Oh, that's how you apply the word of God to your life. Oh, the word actually matches your life. What comes out of your lips matches your behavior. So, Lord, I pray that our men would lead the way in that. I think that's what you tasked us to, to do. And you challenged us to do that. Lord, I also pray for our women. Lord, our women are, are equally value, valuable and equally important in the mission of our church. And so, Lord, I'm praying for the same thing for them. That they would also uh, be an example uh, to those that they lead, to those that they serve. That they would model 
how to not just study the word of God, but to accept it, receive it, believe it, and to behave like it's telling us to behave, Lord, to live like it's telling us to live. Lord, we know that your word is what's going to change our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of us are, as Paul said, many of us were, uh, Scripture says, Lord, many of us are still drinking milk when we should be teachers by now. And Lord, I, I know that that's got to change. So God, we pray for a, 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 a flame to be lit by your spirit in our hearts to desire your word above man-centered teaching or anything else. Lord, we know that man-centered teaching does look attractive. It really does. About how, God, you're going to give us everything that we want. About, God, how you're basically our, our, our genie in a lamp. That we just rub the word of God in a different way and all of a sudden you're going to do whatever we tell you to do. Lord, that does look attractive, but it's evil and it's wicked and it's not of you. So help us to reject it. Help us to only accept and receive what is from you. Help us to be able to identify false teachers. Lord, help us to grow in our understanding of your word. I want new beginnings, Lord, and I know you want new beginnings. To be a place where the believers there can help other people understand this is what's true, and here's how you determine what is true. And we can help other people know how to study their Bible, how to grow in the word. Make us a church that's, that's filled with believers like that, Father. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for, again for this beautiful day. Thank you for what you've done in our lives, Jesus. Thank you that we are not the same person who we used to be. You're transforming us into somebody new. Lord, I thank you for the people who came today, who you brought them here. They were obedient to come as you led them here. Lord, they heard your word. Now we're all accountable to believe it and to receive it and to that happen. Behave like you've called us to behave. Lord, only through the power of your Holy Spirit can that happen. So, uh, Holy Spirit, we pray for our, you to fill us, to help us to repent of our sin that might be holding us back from, from being able to hear you well, to be able to see you well. Help us. Lord, we got to humble ourselves. So, uh, Lord, as we lift up um, right now, we're going to um, uh, give offering to you, Lord, and I know we're going to pray over that here in just a second. Lord, that's a a beautiful step in acknowledging that you really are our Savior and our Lord. So God, help us. Just humble us, grow us, shape us into what you would have us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.